0: Please tell us how we can find the way To climb every mountain that we face every day And in time of trouble what to depend upon Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And that's what the preacher said. that we have with us the man to tell us more of the words of jesus the reverend dr billy graham thank you johnny cash i'm delighted to be here with you and i'm also delighted to be here in nashville at the grand Ole opry because you know this is a historic building This building was primarily built for religious meetings in the beginning. And many great religious meetings have been held here. And I'm delighted to stand here today and tell you a little bit more about what Jesus said.
1: It was the Johnny Cash show at the Grand Ole Opry. If you're thinking, man, that looks really old, it's because it was was 1971. In fact, it was February the 24th, 1971, which means it was exactly 47 years yesterday. At that time, Billy Graham had already seen international prominence for some 23 years. Just to put that into perspective, if you right now are 79 years old, Billy Graham was already famous when you were 10. This week, this world lost an individual whose influence is truly impossible to comprehend. I loved his passion and yet very simple approach to preaching the good news of Jesus. The man just understood the value of simplicity and putting it in language that people understand. I loved the fact that whatever the arena, Billy Graham found himself, whether a stadium or at the White House, whether it was a TED Talk or a talk show, and he did all the talk shows of his day. I mean, uh, Johnny Carson, Larry King, he did them all. And regardless of the arena, he always spoke about Jesus. I love how Billy Graham learned to navigate the political landscape. And I say learned because he didn't always get that right in the beginning, but he learned how to navigate the political landscape so as not to let anything get in the way of him proclaiming the gospel to all people. And I love how Billy Graham handled money and his marriage so faithfully that there was never one single scandal though there were always people looking for one. But the video that you just saw for me is an example of what I most admired about Billy Graham. It was an ability to innovate without compromise. Now, I really don't know how to set this picture for you. That was 1971. Now, do you realize how cool that was in 1971? I mean, to be on the Johnny Cash Show and for him to have such an opportunity, for him to to link his crusades would constantly push the technological and cultural limits He understood that new technology and new styles were not the enemy, but they were tools to be used for the great mission of sharing the good news of Jesus. That's what I most admire about Billy Graham. And that just happens to be a part of the conversation that we currently find ourselves in in a talk series that we started last week called Escape to reality. Escape to reality where we have begun to see that, that although we have this tendency to blame technology, we, we, we have a way of blaming little things like this screen for stealing our time. We, we blame this for, for stealing our connections with people. We blame this for taking life from us when the truth is we're finding out technology is really not the enemy And things like smartphones are really just a mirror. They are a mirror that reflects our own human nature. And what Billy Graham seemed to always understand and be able to live out is the truth that we can either let something like technology own us. If we let it, it will numb us, it will separate us, it will never fulfill us, or... We can own technology and use it to spread the life-changing message of Jesus that the world might know how great our God is. I want you to understand today, apparently there have always been great leaders who understand this truth. And God has chosen to use and bless those great leaders throughout the generations who do such. Most everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, right? I mean, everybody knows the story of a giant who takes on a little shepherd boy. But. There's a story behind the story that few people really understand from a cultural perspective. The Philistines had a huge technological advantage over the Israelites. The technological advantage was something called iron. You see, in this day, we are told that that Goliath had a spear. We're even told it weighs like 15 pounds, and the tip of it is made of iron. And it's described in the Bible how he has this scaled suit of armor. Guess what it's made of? Iron. And so when you think about the challenge that the Philistines kept presenting to the Israelites, and we always badmouth the Israelites because they're too scared to go fight, well, a part of the reason they're scared to fight is not only because Goliath is a giant, but also because he is equipped in a way that they were not equipped. The Philistines actually introduced ironwork to the Middle East. But the key was they didn't share it with anybody. They just kept it and used it to their advantage. Now, just in case you don't believe me, I want to show you. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13, here's what the Bible says about this context, this story. Verse 19 reads like this. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plows, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword Or spear in his hand. Only Saul and Jonathan had them. Hmm. Now, does that not put a little different perspective on that whole fighting issue? I mean, nobody had a sword. I mean, can you imagine trying to rally those troops? Right? Right? Nobody's got a sword. Nobody's got a spear. Right? It's like, come on, everybody bring your pocket knives, right? Ra- raid the kitchen. There's got to be an ice pick or something in the drawer, right? But the Philistines are all carrying swords and spears. No wonder Israel was afraid. Now, here's what we know technology has never, nor will it ever, match God. God is bigger. No matter what it feels like some days and the technology flood that, that comes our way, God is always bigger. And so David, little shepherd boy without technology, without an iron suit, without a spear, but with God. And a little sling and a stone defeats Goliath. But do you remember that when David says, does so, he he defeats goliath and then he begins to win battles saul who is the king of that day gets jealous and we're not talking about a little bit jealous we're talking about so jealous that he wants david dead and he begins to pursue David. And the Bible tells us, you can read it, in First in and 2 Samuel, David flees for his life. And he gets to the point where he realizes the best thing I can do is to get out of Israel so that Saul won't pursue me anymore. And the Bible says that David went to live in the land of the Philistines. He found favor with a Philistine king. He was allowed to live there with David's family and some 600 soldiers. And the Bible says that David resided there for 16 months. I find it amazing that once David does become king, it is amazing how capable Israel becomes including their ability to have weapons and armor. We are told in the Bible that David at times would store up huge amounts of iron. What we read by the time we get to 2 Samuel is that Israel is now equipped that they are dominating the Philistines. They are now able to match anyone in battle. It appears as though perhaps David learned something in his time in Philistine territory. And he was a man who took the technology and he gave it to his people, God's people, and they thrive. Now come on, ain't nobody talking about replacing God with technology. You start putting your trust in anything other than God, you know you're headed down a, 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 a path that's going to defeat. But, but come on, wh- whatever the iron, whatever the iron would be of our day, wh- whether it's politics or, or it's education or it's law or it's entertainment or it's technology, those can be tools in the hands of God-gifted people whose mission it is to make his greatness known. And when that happens, it is limitless, the impact that they can make on a culture. So, let's bring that home. Like literally, home. Because I think one of the fears that most of us face as parents is how in the world are we supposed to navigate this rapidly progressing technology around us? How in the world as parents are, are we supposed to do what we feel like we're supposed to do in connection with loving and protecting our kids? How do we do that with things like smart phones? How do, we, how do we do that? Because... This in the hand of a young child, this in the hand of a young student, oh, it gives them incredible access to the world, but it also means it gives them incredible access to the world. But here's what I'm reminding you today. If we look at the pattern. If we look at, if we understand this correctly, what this also means is if we do it right, we, we can also be a part of equipping our children with tools that gives them access and impact to their culture in a way that could spread the good news of Jesus unlike any other culture that is lived so far. The potential is that great. So, in order to practically work our way through this this morning for a little bit, let's just try to apply it just to this piece of technology. We'll just go back to our symbol for for what we're kind of talking about in this series. We'll we'll just work with the smartphone. How do we do this the right way with our kids? I feel like I should give a uh, disclaimer up front, um, because there are, there are kids and there are students sitting in the room. And there will be many of you who um, do not like what I'm going to say in the next few moments. And, and you will be encouraging your parents not to listen to crazy people like, like, our, like our pastor. He's just so out of touch with the world. There are going to be some pieces of it, though, that you're going to like. There, there are going to be some pieces of it that you might... Be really more than okay with. And, 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 and you're going to go out of here going, come on, even the pastor thinks this, all right? I, I'm saying, I'm not your parent. I'm not your parent. And so there's a part of this where they have the responsibility of taking some of the principles that we're about to talk about and they've got to figure out how to apply that in your life, and if it's a little different than what I'm about to describe, so be it. So be it. So I I am going to use kind of three categories to summarize as we work through this. Now, I'm reminding you, your kids' friends greatly determine the quality of their life. Your kids' friends greatly determine the direction and the quality of their life. And so I always encourage you, put great effort into who your kids' friends are. And you understand that much of what I'm talking about today, if you will start when they're here, it's a whole lot easier. Some of you have that, that, that privilege today, It's where you are. Some of you are beyond that. We'll talk about that a little bit, but if you'll start when they're this tall, who their friends are really matters. But in the end, it is you as parents who are giving the responsibility to protect and equip. So here's where I would start. How do we do this? Here's the first, first group. I would say it's about age and maturity. Answering the questions of when, when should I give them this? When, when should they have access to that? When should, when should I hand them a smartphone? It's about age and it's about maturity. All right? Not just age. That's what I want you to see. Well, everybody else has one when they're okay. But I'm telling you, it's about age and maturity. That's how God does it with you and I. Let me show you something about God, who is the perfect father in this whole picture. Let me show you something. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Um, While while you're looking at this, if I'm yelling at you today, part of it's because I can't hear. and It's like one of those weeks where my head is like a drum, and so I can't tell. And so if I'm yelling, just assume I'm not mad, all right? Assume assume I'm just trying to figure out how how I'm talking so Exodus chapter 13 verse 17 says when Pharaoh let the people go right so suddenly we realize this is Israel back dealing with coming out of slavery in Egypt when Pharaoh let the people go God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country though that was shorter For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Can I tell you that as a father, I love that picture of my heavenly father. I love the fact that that he as a father did not send them on the shortest route. He knew the shortest route, but he didn't send them on the shortest route because he knew that the shortest route was the toughest route and they weren't ready for that fight. And so the Bible says that God sent them on the longer route because they were not mature enough in their faith to yet handle the struggle on the shortest route. Now that's some pictures for us as parents as to how we truly have to consider age and maturity when we are wanting to bless and love our kids. I'm saying when it comes to something like this, you got to deal with this The same way that it fits into the rhythm and the pattern of how you deal with everything else with your kid. It's kind of like driving in a way. Our culture says at a certain age, you are old enough to get a driver's permit. At a certain age, you are old enough to get a license. But come on, we all know that there are some kids who get to that age, but they ain't ready to handle a vehicle yet. Some are, some aren't. And as a parent, you have a responsibility to recognize. you got to know, are they ready or are they not? Now, I understand there's some personal stuff that comes in there. There's some fear stuff. It's like I would rather just say they're not for the rest of their life so that I don't have to watch them drive away from my house. I get it. We can all play that game. I'm talking about being genuine, though. I'm talking about being truthful and recognizing that sometimes even a kid knows they are old enough to do something, but they are not mature enough yet. handle it. It's age and it's responsibility. It's age and it's maturity. This is also kind of like a car. It's not a toy. And when you put your kid behind a car for the first time, some of you'll see, some of you'll see when you got to do it for the first time, you're like, oh my goodness, this is not a toy. Well, this isn't either but it sure seems like it is a lot of the time because there's games and stuff all over it. But you and I both know that the access that it gives means it's not a toy. That's why both age and maturity have to be considered. I would encourage you as a parent not to worry so much about what age Everybody gives their kid access. I would encourage you to know your kid's heart. And you determine when your kid is ready to begin to have access to such a tool. The second word, the second grouping that I want to use is the word ownership. Not just age and maturity, but ownership. Here's what I mean by that. This is me saying to my child, son, this does not belong to you. It belongs to me. And when the puzzled look comes across his face, I would say, It's sort of like your room. That also belongs to me, and I let you use it. Welcome to parenthood and childhood, all right? It's just a place we don't visit that often, unfortunately. But I own the room, I let you use it. I own the car, I let you use it. I own the phone, I let you use it. Now, I'm convinced this will work. Um, For most of us, for me, I bought my kids' phones. I did, because I wanted them to have phones when they started, especially right driving and that kind of stuff. I wanted them to be able to, to have contact, me to have contact with them. I, I, I wanted them to, so I bought them. They really were mine. I'm saying, don't be afraid, even if you are a parent that requires your kid to buy you a phone, that you then let them use. Welcome to parenthood, and welcome to childhood. It's okay. It really is okay. It doesn't make you the harshest parent on the planet. But here's what I want you to know. Your greatest leverage as a parent is before you hand them the phone. That's your greatest leverage. Because if it is understood that this is is mine and I'm letting you use it, then we're going to settle some questions up front. And you get to pick the questions. Pick the questions like... Where does this sleep at night? And maybe your answer is going to be not in your room. Now, come on. I'm talking about when, when, when they're young and they're beginning to grow up, this may be diff- some of these things are going to be different, the older that, that students get. But, but we're talking about starting in a place. This does not sleep in your room. There's no reason for it too because you sleep in your room. So let's have a public phone parking area in our house. It's public parking, it's free, and it's where the phone parks every night. It's not a bad idea for parents either, by the way. It's not a bad idea for some husbands and wives to go to bed without your phone. Without your phone. There's some God-given things that are a whole lot more fun than a phone, when you, when you, just so you know, seriously. Leave your phone. You don't have to have it at every moment. Park it somewhere. Where does it park at night? What time does it go to sleep at night? You can set those standards. When is it off limits? Like, when we have dinner, no phones. No phones. When we eat a meal together, no phones. You could even say, when you have a meal with anybody, no phone. It doesn't go on the table. It's, it's not in your hand, no phone. You can set those limits. When do we unlock the App Store? Right? I, I, I would encourage you um, early on, this is your phone. No secret passwords. No secret passwords. It's your phone you should know how to be able to get in it now we'll talk about that more in a minute but I'm saying no no secret passwords age and maturity then ownership let me give you one more progression progression and when we talk about progression I'm talking about how does this grow how does this develop and I would encourage you to think about starting narrow and then go wide start narrow and then go wide in other words when I hand the first phone to my son, it will be a locked down version of a smartphone. And what I will say is here's my phone that you can use. You can call on it and you can text on it. But you know what? We got plenty of browsers in our house, and there are plenty of browsers that you can find at school. You got to look up something, research something. There's plenty of that that you can find. But for right now, we're going to talk and we're going to text. Why would I do that? Because we're going to start narrow and then we're going to go wide. I want my kids, especially early on, to have to ask me before they put an app on my phone. Now, in case you don't know this, apps can be wonderful. Almost all of them really can be wonderful. But almost all of them also can be incredibly dangerous, especially when there are images involved. I wish I didn't have to tell you that. I wish that wasn't the case in our world. But that's how our world has changed. And so there needs to be permission. I would encourage you that whatever app your kids use, especially when they're young, you use it. You use it. Know what, know what they're using. And, and they know that you know that they use it. The, the, the million-dollar question that I get asked a lot tends to be, Jeff, we're really struggling in this area with, with my kids. Should I read their text? should I read their text?" And it's so funny to me, kids do not understand how much we as parents hate this part of parenting. It's almost as like kids think we enjoy this part. We hate this part. You know why we hate this part? For one, we don't want to read all your text. We don't even want to read all our text. This is not something that we, that we see as an opportunity. It's like, ooh, I can read all their texts. I don't care. I don't want to read all your texts. But the worst part of it is it gets labeled as spying, and we just come off looking bad regardless of how we do it. And so how could you do this system in a way that's healthy? Well, I, I, one of the ways that I once heard explained goes like this. I... Don't want you, my child, carrying around anything you hope I don't find out about. And you know why I hope? You know why I don't want you carrying around any secrets, anything that you hope I don't find out? Because if you are, you're dealing with some heart issues. That stuff will hurt you. Heart issues become behavior issues, and behavior issues wreck people's lives, and if you don't believe that, I can give you a hundred illustrations of it really quick. Heart issues that become behavior issues that wreck people's lives. You don't want heart issues. You don't want to be carrying around secret stuff that you hope I don't find out about, and so right now, at your age and your heart, look, me having access to your phone sets you up it it sets you up to stay free of secrets that you wish I wouldn't find out about so let's just be clear I ain't spying because I don't like spying when you spy on your kid's phone then you end up finding something then you're in this predicament of going okay now what am I going to do Do I tell them I spy? Do I tell them I look? Because here's what they're going through, and then you kind of freak out because you don't know what to do. So let's just do away with the spying, and let's just go back to some clarity. This is my phone. I'm not spying. I just have access to my phone. And they know that I can read it. Do I want to? No. No. I think it's the part every kid struggles to believe. No, I don't want to read it. I don't want to read all your texts, but, but I will because I don't want you carrying around secrets that hurt your heart. You say, okay, Jeff, what happens if, like, I already know. Well, for one, don't freak out. That's like the number one rule in parenting. Don't freak out because if you freak out, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you find yourself in that position, maybe it's time for a conversation with your kid that simply says, look, here's what I know this is doing to your heart. From this day forward, if you find yourself in a spot that you feel stuck, right, somebody Somebody is saying something. Somebody is sending something. Something is happening here, and you feel stuck, and you don't know what to do. Here's what I'm telling you. You come to me, and you will not get in trouble. And I want you to know that at any point you so need to, you can throw me under the bus to keep your heart healthy. So somebody starts sending you something, somebody starts saying something to you, here's all you need to say. I got this crazy dad. He's, he's ridiculously overboard. He, he reads my text. He will look at my phone. Don't send me the stuff. And you have the freedom to throw me under the bus any moment you want to, to keep your heart whole. All of these things, you understand, are a battle. Like, I'm standing up here talking about them like you'll be able to roll through them by next Thursday. No. Every, every one of them tend to be this, this battle, right? And, and everybody's pushing back and, and forth like, what do you mean you own the phone? I mean, I, I understand all that. And it, it's because, come on, most of our kids are used to getting what they want now. I'm going to say that again. Most of our kids are used to getting what they want now. Now I'm going to take it even further and I'm going to say most of us are used to getting what we want now. We might talk about that next week. Just to let you know, if you want to run for the hills next week, it be that week. because we, we actually might talk about that aspect of our lives. What do I do, Jeff, if, if I already know I'm afraid I've gone too far in this, I need to dial it back, like I've already given too much too much access. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. Withdrawing privileges is always appropriate for you as a parent. Withdrawing privileges has to happen at times. Um, Here's what what I'm going to say to you as a parent. Feel free to throw me under the bus any moment you need. And if you need to say, you know what? Here's how we've done this so far, but I just kind of got to thinking about something. In fact, it was that preacher. He, he kind of talked about some things. Throw me under the bus if you need to in order to say, you know what? I want us to back up a little bit with this because I care about your heart more than anything else in this world, and I as a parent have learned I have a responsibility to protect. It's a part of how I love you. I want to encourage you too that I'm convinced there's also what I call a carrot that you can dangle out there, all right? Now, it was kind of funny as I'm thinking through this this week, because to use an illustration of dangling a carrot in a, in a culture of kids who are growing up right now with these, they're like, what? What do you? What's a? Why would you? Why would you care about some salad, Hank? Hey, hey, right? Well, what's a? What? And so, just so you know, it's it's an old figure of speech. It's an old description of how it used to be when people were working with like horses or donkeys or whatever. They literally would dangle something like a carrot out front of the animal to get them to move, to get them to work, to get whatever it was, plow or whatever it was, to get them to move. They would dangle. It's called dangling a carrot. Isn't that funny? I mean, like, most, most of the last generations have no idea what to dangle a carrot means, right? It's, it's like, is that something good? Should we be saying that? Yes, it's okay. It's all right. Here's the carrot. And I, I, I wish I'd have been smart enough to know how to verbalize some of this stuff with my girls. But I'm learning. And I got a son who's, who's in this process right now of... When, when do we start, when do we give him access to this stuff, and how do we move him through it? But here's what I'm going to tell my son. By the time he is a senior in high school, I want it to be so that there are no rules in my house regarding him. I'm not talking about just with his phone. I'm talking about curfews. I'm talking about whatever. By the time he is a senior in high school, my prayer is that there would need to be absolutely no rules in my house regarding him. You're like, well, that sounds pretty scary. Parents, I I would ask you to consider that in one more year's time, (laughs) if he chooses to go to college somewhere, if he chooses to move out of the house because he would be old enough to do so, how many rules am I going to have on his life? None. None. So man, if we could work towards something before he gets out of our house so that there were no rules and, and I would know that this is how his heart works. And to help him walk some of that out, that he already has such freedom before he actually, right, has, has an enormous amount of freedom with where, wherever he might end up. Here's the carrot. All the rules that we're putting into play right now, like when I have access to your phone right now, I, I could read your text right now. you got to ask me before you put an app on my phone because there's no secret passwords. All that stuff when you're this tall is to move you toward, when you're this tall, your heart is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. This is the part where I'm saying, some of you might be seniors right now, and you're like, I want that rule. Um, And maybe your parents will decide to do that. But it could be that they haven't yet because you haven't been trustworthy. It's about a trustworthiness. Some some of you are young enough now that that can be something that you want your heart to move toward, that, that you are that trustworthy. God has given your parents the responsibility to do whatever they have to do to protect you as long as you are under their care. And so even if you're a senior and you're not operating in a trustworthy manner, I'm saying their responsibility is to, keep, is to keep protecting until you are no longer under their care. But I promise you their hope is that before you get out of the house, you already have a heart that is equipped to handle all that will be thrown at you in this world. Parents, I I want us to understand it is not enough just to keep our kids from harm. You hear me? It is not enough just to keep our kids from harm. Listen to what the wisest man who ever lived said. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to how he speaks. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands, where? In your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. He's like, you understand, when I'm giving you God's wisdom, this is not about me just putting pressure on you. This is, this is about me wanting to make your life fully alive. This really is about blessing and cursing in your life. When I give you instruction, I want it to go heart deep. Verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck Write them on the tablet of your heart. This might be important. He keeps saying it. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. It is not enough to just keep your kids from harm. The mission is to get something to their heart. This is about how you love this is about how they love. The implementation of the rules is made much easier or much difficult if you have taken the time and the attention to get to your kid's heart. Oh, it means you got to be tough sometimes. It also means sometimes you've got to demonstrate grace. And it takes intention, it takes time on your knees, it takes dependent on your heavenly father to figure out how to navigate those things you want to get to their heart. This is more than just telling them that God exists. This is more than just facts about Jesus. This is you want them to know his life. I would encourage you not to entrust that to what they see on a screen. Uh, anybody enjoy the Olympics for the last two weeks? Enjoy the Olympics? I enjoyed the Olympics. Never in my life have I cheered for curling until this week. I cheered for curling. I did, like, full-fledged cheer for curling, right? Won the gold medal. Men won the gold medal in curling. It's like, how, how cool is that? That's what I love about the Olympics. But, but what is also amazing is that if you ever doubted the influence of a liberal media, you should have been reminded over the last two weeks of watching Olympic coverage. Don't leave your kids' heart in the hands of those who control the screens they watch. You must protect your kids from what they are not ready to face, but you must also point your kids toward the one that they were made to face. His name is Jesus. And you got to give them Jesus, not just keep them from harm. You got to give them Jesus. It's funny how timing works sometimes. For Christmas, one of the things that my wife Jen and I gave our kids um, was tickets to a concert. And uh, Friday night, it was time to cash in the tickets. And we went to see Toby Mack, all right? Now, the beautiful thing about Toby Mac is for an old dude, he can still just bring it, right? I mean, the dude, he still puts on an amazing show. I think when Sylvie, my granddaughter, is 20, we're all going to still be going to Toby Mac, going, he put out a new, new album, right? And, and we'll be walking along. We're going to Toby Mac, all generations. It's like, because he's, he's written so many songs, it's like everybody kind of enjoys. It. And so we, we all went to, to the Toby Mac concert the other night, and um uh, when, I, when I'm there, I, I thought about this picture. The old guy on the bottom, that's Billy Graham again. And who you see in this picture is a very young DC talk, is who they were called at the time. Uh, you got Michael Tate, um, that's, that's Toby Mac in the middle. Um, Kevin Max, some, some of you, like, he was like audio adrenaline lead singer for a little while. Um, these guys were, were called DC Talk back in that day. And um, it, it is amazing to me, even in the pre-worship wars of the church, Billy Graham was already inviting groups like DC Talk to sing at his crusades. He did that before anybody else was doing it. Friday night I found myself in that Sprint Center thinking about something 15 years ago. It was 2003. It was one of the most um, difficult seasons of ministry in my life. Um, I'm not trying to over-dramatize this, but it really was a moment where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to lead what, what we now call Heart of Life in, into the next steps. I didn't know if I could. I truly didn't know if I could. It was one of those moments. And it had to do, um, among other things, with music and technology. There was a retired pastor who attended our church at that point. This was the only campus there was. Um, he had pastored in the area for a long time; was well known. Um, his name was Calvin Wild. We called him Brother Cal. And when he retired, he kind of planted here, and he would he would attend here. And one night in the middle of just all the stuff going on and i don't even remember what the event was i just remember brother cal doing one of those things where he came up to me he kind of bumped into me and he did me the envelope slip you know what i'm saying it's like i felt like mission impossible music should play all right he did an envelope slip and he handed me this envelope and it was sort of this look at it later and when i when i got home i opened the envelope and inside it was an article about Billy Graham. And the article talked about that although Billy Graham had received so much criticism for doing so, he had continually pushed the limits of new music and new technology and how it had helped him continue to connect to next generation after next generation and it pushed the gospel across the world. And at the bottom of that article, Brother Cal, in his handwriting, he simply wrote, don't be afraid, keep going. Don't be afraid, keep going. At that concert the other night, I thought how cool of a day this really is that we live in. With a constant flow of new music and new technology, we truly have access to tools that allow us to do everything we can to connect to the heart of every next generation that comes along, if we're willing. But then something else happened at the concert the other night. I'm sitting there and I I heard her standing there. You know how that goes. And I hear, and where would I be without you? You know that one? I'd be packing my bags when I need to stay. You know that one? I'd be chasing every breeze that blows my way. I'd be building my kingdom just to watch it fade away. It's true. That's me without you. You, 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 right? How it goes. Now, I don't care if you like the song. I don't care. It's not my favorite song. It's the beautiful thing about Toby Mac. There's like 100 more to choose from, all right? I don't care if you like the song. Here was the significance. It was the first song my son ever sang. First song. You're like, seriously, that's what you taught him? Seriously, that's the first song you gave him? No, it wasn't. But every time we'd get in a vehicle, we would listen to the radio. And even when he was really tiny, he had this cool mohawk, and he was really little, and he would sit in his car seat, and he would just bob his head to the music. I mean, he he always had rhythm. But the day came when he decided he was going to sing for the first time, and that was the song that he sang in in the vehicle the very first time. You know why? Why? Because he liked it, and it was the thing that hit his heart. I, I'm, I, how cool is it that there's some guy older than me still writing stuff that's connecting to some next generations? Some language of, here's what happens if you try to do life without God. Because you you try to do life without God, you're going to make some wrong moves, you're going to chase some empty dreams, you're going to build your own kingdom, and it's just going to fade away. Because you were meant to do life with God. I found myself in that concert the other night saying, how cool of a day this is. With a constant flow of new music and new technology, I have access to tools that allow me to do everything I can to connect with the heart of my son, if I'm willing. Because it's not enough for me just to protect him from what I don't want him to face. It is my God-given purpose as his father to point him toward the one he was made to face. Moms and dads in this room, and to those who will eventually perhaps hear this talk because of technology, I know sometimes this fight for the heart of your kid seems impossible. I know that sometimes, this fight for the heart of your kid feels like there's too much other stuff that seems to have all the momentum. There's, there's too much other stuff that seems to get, to get all the time. I, I'm telling you, be reminded there is one who is with you in this fight, and with him, even a suit of iron is no match for a sling and a stone. A godly old pastor once gave me some words of encouragement that I would like to pass on to you. Don't be afraid. Keep going. Don't be afraid. Keep going. I will pray, and we're going to sing. It's not Toby Mac, but it's it's all right. It'll be good. It'll be good. This is not one of those songs, honestly, at the end that it, it's, it's not real quiet and reflective. I, I, it's like, I want us to end today with some celebration of the God who fights with us. Don't be afraid. Keep going. Let's pray. God. There are moms and dads, grandparents across this room who so love their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. They look on a culture and at times, God, we admit it, there's a a part of us that trembles because of all that um, they possibly face. We need to be reminded, like today, that if we love them that much, you their Heavenly Father, the one that they were made to know most perfectly. You love them to such a degree beyond. God, you are fighting for us. I, I pray for parents today. God, you would encourage them. I pray for those that are, that, are, that are weary because the fight has been long, that today you would simply empower their hearts not to be afraid to keep going. God, I pray that there could be healing in households, I pray that young hearts could be strengthened. God, I ask that you would give us enough vision, enough intentionality, and enough perseverance that we will keep fighting for every generation, not just to keep them from the harm they might face, but that we will pour out our lives to point them toward you, the one they were created to face. May your great name be known in the whole earth. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
0: We will sing. I love you guys.